Hello and welcome back to the Grad Life podcast. Today we are delighted to welcome Adam McCarthy. Adam is a full-time crypto reporter working for The Block and previously Zash. During his time at Trinity, he was involved in the Trinity Investor Society and the Student Managed Fund, where he served as head of publications. No doubt, these were incredibly useful experiences going forward in Adam's career as a crypto journalist. So Adam, how are you today? Hey, Lucia, not too bad. Um, glad it's the weekend. How are you? Good, good. Um, so Adam, you started your journey at Trinity. Uh, what did you study and how did that shape your interest and support you in working as a crypto journalist? Yeah, so I studied sociology and social policy. Back in 2015, I started, so I would have finished up in 2019. Um, I don't know if my degree really shaped what I wanted to do. Um, I think it kind of helped me shape more what I didn't want to do, So, uh, which is always useful as well. Um, limit the kind of scope of things you have to rule out. Uh, I was interested in economics, so there's a bit of economics in there, and I was interested in law. So you got to do a bit of that, and there's a bit of social studies and everything else thrown in. So it was a good kind of mix that helped a lot i think i learned more maybe from the societies i was in and the people i kind of fell in with and hung around with a bit uh rather than in lecture halls or in tutorials but um i think the most kind of important thing i did during my time in trinity was probably being the investor society um so being involved in uh, trinity investors like uh and then the smf so the smf's like um i'm sure you understand it's like uh they have i think maybe over 100 grand now in assets under management split into different sectors You've got a sector manager and they kind of outline some lessons each week in the meeting, uh, a little bit of research to do, kind of give you a task. Every now and then people from different sectors are kind of picked or volunteer to pitch and have a stock removed or added to the portfolio. They pitch this to an kind of executive team, which is made up of students as well. And then executive team works with the board of directors, which is sort of um, they've got some kind of former alumni and then people from the university and it's all, it's all really good because you get kind of first-hand experience on looking at stocks and looking at companies and what makes them, what, how they're valued and why you should care about what they do. And, you know, it's really interesting stuff like that. Um, but I fell into the editing, editing side of things then. So they had a publication and a friend of mine had been an editor uh, the year before me. I took it up after him and that's kind of when I first started getting into writing. So I was like my second or third, my third year. And after my third year, then I did an internship in EY in audit. So I did wealth and asset management. And again, that was another kind of a eye-opener for what I don't want to do. So yeah. <laughs> It's definitely very encouraging. I think a lot of people go into degrees thinking it's something that they might be interested in. And, and realistically, they find out what they're, they're really not interested in. So I think it's really encouraging for people to hear situations where like that, where, you know, you can figure it out later and, and find what you're meant to do. But yeah, no, it's, it's and student managed funds are, are hugely beneficial, I think, to, to students in, in university. And I think most most colleges and universities have them now at this point. So they are a huge resource for, for students. Um, and you did a number of things then after graduating from Trinity to further your studies. Would you mind walking us through some of those? Yeah, yeah. So and also just to touch on kind of uh, your point there, it is really good to hear. And like when I first started in university, I switched courses because um, I guess when I was in doing my leaving certain and then going into college, I had this idea that I was definitely going to do this course, definitely going to do that. Just missed out by a few points. Ended up going away, studying somewhere else, deciding that wasn't for me. And it's um, it's kind of like if anyone else is kind of out there a year or two into stuff, it's kind of always reassuring to hear. Yeah, most of these things 
five four or five years on don't really matter so it's uh no definitely yeah i think people um, really panic about things like that and just in terms of picking a course and realizing it's not for them and they feel like the process has entirely been messed up but um no i think that's it's definitely reassuring for people to hear that there's more than one way onto a different path but uh, sorry you were saying there about your your things you did after college then yeah so like directly after i finished in 2019 um i went straight away to canada about a week after i finished open trinity and i lived in toronto first summer I kind of took it easy I was playing rugby got a job there uh started September not 2019 um I was working property management so it was kind of different it was completely different to what I'm doing now and never thought I would do it but it's a very handy job you got a car and it was uh, had to kind of be around the city all the time handling rentals and uh working with people I guess uh like one of the things I kind of I say this in interviews but I don't know how relevant it actually is um but I had to like do a lot of kind of client management relationship management so a lot of the properties I was managing were for clients maybe in the Middle East outside of Canada and Asia and I'd have to maybe someone might want a weekly update on how their units looking like the rent's paid every once a month so there's not much to write about so you're kind of getting creative with your emails or you're touching base with people and I think that was like it's very it's kind of a stretch to say that was uh, helped me towards my eventual decision into journalism, but I, I use it in interviews and they seem to like it. So yeah, yeah. I definitely think um, it would, I don't think anyone would deny that. I think that's a huge, any sort of experience like that really helps people and encourages them, I think, to, to go through with, you yeah. know, there's certain career choices and, you know, it even inspires you to kind of know what you want to do. And even any practice at writing is, is, is incredibly helpful. Yeah, exactly. And then I guess after that, because of COVID uh, in March 2020, I guess, I had a two-year visa and it was kind of recommended that if you're on a short-term visa, you come back to Ireland. So I sort of spent the next kind of six, seven weeks thinking, all right, I'll go back over to Canada or I might move to London, maybe look at a master's. Kind of, again, had no real idea or of, of a plan, something solid, but um, knew that I didn't have to do much because of COVID, so it's kind of handy, but didn't know how long that would go on for. Uh, so I sort of got to September and it was still, I think we went back into a lockdown after the summer or things kind of tightened up again. Um, because they're in that yo-yo of like cases would go down they'd open and cases would go back up and there'd be new restrictions so I did some online courses I started like a micro masters in MIT and ran by MIT um, so it's kind of like self-paced online data economics book development and that was really good I've done like three of the five courses for that now and I did another course like public policy economics course which is much more like um it's not really like micro focus, not really kind of nitty gritty. That one is more macro and you got to write some essays. And it was in fun. And that's probably around the time I got interested in writing again, because I'd done some writing in college and I started looking at kind of freelance writing, but over Christmas COVID got bad again. I think everything locked down. So I was kind of killed my ambition for a while, which is just totally fine. Mm-hmm. I think. Um, I, I'm, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm definitely pushing that. Don't push yourself too hard stuff here, but it's, it was, there was nothing else to be done. I mean, you had to kind of sit indoors. They closed everything down. I think. Why did yeah, I think that's even to get to my family for Christmas. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, it's um, insane. But, I think you have to kind of look at that period of time, and people always kind of go harsh on themselves for maybe taking a break, but people forget there was very little you could do, and a lot of companies weren't recruiting, and there wasn't a lot going on. So it was a time I think of like degrowth, but also and trying to challenge yourself in other ways. But it sounds like you you definitely used it wisely anyway. Yeah, and then I kind of decided then in February, kind of the next year, which would have been last year yeah 2021 um that I was going to look at kind of getting a job moving away to London 
and I was applying for sales, tech sales, because I mean, everyone's in tech sales now. It seems to be the thing. <laughs> and uh, and you, I, you talk to anyone, they're kind of saying, you should do this, do tech sales. It's amazing. And your base, your base is this and you can, your OTE is this and like, you know, all this uh, yeah. jargon. And <laughs> when you, when you abstract away that stuff, it's at the end of the day, it, like I ended up getting a sales job, but um, I'll, get, I'll get to that. The process of searching for them was quite tough because I hadn't worked in about a year and I, almost a year. And some, some of the people weren't kind of quite sure why, I guess maybe they'd been in sales roles that kind of transitioned over to be remote quite easily. So they didn't understand why I wasn't. Um, I guess in the end of the day, I wasn't because I didn't have any kind of passion for it. Um, mm-hmm. So I went over to London. The idea of doing a sales role went, met the, met the team, saw what it was like. This was a much more, might've been like close to like Revolut kind of FX sales. I know people do like clients, like selling like uh, their FX package where it's like, lower spreads or transaction fees or whatever I was going to do that for a while and then I realized it wasn't for me at all so I got into working in startups then that's when I kind of got into web3 crypto and blockchain and I was first off freelancing with being crypto so it's kind of online crypto publication and that was really cool because my first experience ever like working for a fully remote company so there's no office anywhere and they just sent me a link for slack Uh, I, I did a writing test online um, they sent me a link for a Slack and I signed into Slack for the first time ever. And then someone ran me through how it works. Um, <laughs> there was like different channels and you posted in, there was someone posting in news, you put your hand up and say, you're going to take it or not. And then you had maybe an hour, 45 minutes to an hour to finish that and put it into WordPress. Um, it was very fast. It was very like press releases, um, synthesizing stuff other people had written. So just making sure that they had news on their side. Um, that was my first kind of, experience writing about crypto although I'd written a bit written about it and been interested in it before and invested yeah. in it before and then I also worked for Zash at the same time it's like a retail investing company kind of a community manager role which is quite I think unique to crypto it's not unique to crypto like there's it's been around but the way it's done on crypto is just it's crazy mm-hmm. so I was managing a slack channel and eventually a discord channel writing a weekly newsletter maybe doing some tweeting as well so it's like social media meets kind of organizer and then like shit poster because you're yeah. on Twitter, just responding to people to try and kind of bootstrap the following that way. You just want to be in the replies and posting stuff. Um, the part about that that I like though is the weekly newsletter. So it kind of featured an interview with someone once a week that was kind of maybe from the community or I guess we eventually got some more interesting people that were kind of crypto influencers and crypto Twitter and stuff like that. Um, synthesizing news to like, to, you know, so people get this in their inbox, they know it's important. And maybe then I had a, we had a learn feature at one point where we were kind of explaining different things, the t- differences between hot and cold wallets, um, what Ethereum's upgrade meant, because it was like, I think at the time it was mooted like after an upgrade last year, but still hasn't happened. So there's different yeah. things to write about then. Um, I did that for about eight or nine months. And then I started working with Business Insider in January doing a fellowship. So writing for Markets Insider, part of that. It's like um, focus mainly on um, financial markets, um, crypto, anything that space. So that was a five-month intern uh, fellowship. I started in January, but I didn't get through in the end. I got an offer from the block um, after kind of you know meeting some of the guys that worked there. They're growing, and then the block is much more crypto focused. Um, I learned a lot mm-hmm. while I was there for in, Insider. For I did I, I finished most of the fellowship, and it was good because you had to be multidisciplined. That I was writing about oil and stocks tech stocks 
crypto, everything. Um, also hitting a lot of things like what kind of key influential investors might say, Mohammed Al Aaron or you know Michael Saylor, Mike Novogratz, or whoever. I'd kind of cover that. Um, even I guess if Elon Musk comes out a tweet thread, you've got to write something <laughs> about that these days. Yeah, uh, definitely. Then then I moved into the block, which is obviously much more uh, crypto focused and kind of crypto native. So that's where I've been for the last three weeks, and it's been it's been great so far. Yeah, it sounds very, very interesting. And so working as a, a crypto journalist is, is obviously a fairly novel career. Um, would you tell us a bit about what your day-to-day is like working in the industry? Yeah, so uh, I guess it does sound a bit from what it would have been like for being crypto or you know the much more fast, like kind of repasting new stuff. But for Insider and the block, there's you get a little bit more time to kind of do some original reporting. And um, I guess more interesting, the Insider was much more you're kind of up at like 7.30 a.m. because you're writing about the market. So you want to have some news done before the U.S. come online about half one. So you're writing a market wrap maybe at 7.30, between 7.30 and 8 a.m., which is just kind of what's happened overnight in Asia, what's going on with oil futures, what's going on with crypto, what's going on with everything um, pre-market. And then that gets updated about half two, three o'clock when um, more time in the U.S., uh, Otherwise, on the inside, you'd also be writing another article maybe before 11.30. So you'd, between 8.30 and 11.30, you'd probably have a morning meeting at some point, and then you'd probably have to cover something that happened overnight. If it was crypto-related, which it usually was for me, let's say Michael Saylor has tweeted that he's buying more Bitcoin or um, Doquan from Terra Luna a few weeks ago, one of my last stories in uh, Insider, they were building up their Bitcoin reserves. So I just had to kind of synthesize his tweet mm-hmm. and say why it mattered, what it meant, and maybe a little bit of background. So you're kind of becoming a micro expert for like 45 minutes on something and getting it out. Um, they're usually a bit slower in the afternoon. So you can get maybe one story out, work on something longer for the weekend, a feature or an interview. And then it's different again at the block because it's quite interesting because it's crypto focused and the block also kind of has research data and reporting. So it's interesting that the odd time if you're working on something that you might not understand kind of in traditional press, they might not have the resources we have. So if you want to kind of get your head wrapped around something like algorithmic stable coins, one of our research team can take five minutes and explain it to you. Um, we have a weekly call with them where if we have questions about articles, they can run us through certain things and dynamics. So we know we're kind of accurate and kind of puts us ahead of everyone else. Um, and that's really nice. So there's a little bit more time as well, but uh, I'm still covering kind of markets, but just crypto markets. So I guess my day is, Watch what's happening with prices, um, NFTs. So if Board Ape Yacht Club price collection is dropping below 200,000 and it was at 400,000 two weeks ago, I kind of mm-hmm. have to write why. And just yeah. <laughs> everyone wants to know why and everyone wants to click in. And it's an interesting story. Yeah, yeah definitely. Sounds like a, a hectic day anyway. Um, do you think it is an industry that people need to have a high level of starting knowledge um, and experience to work in? I mean, many students are highly aware of the growth in crypto in recent years and are curious to work in the industry, but maybe lack the confidence to do so. Uh, I'd say no. Um, I don't think it is. If you've got like, if you're if you're able to write and you're, you know, you've got time after you for reading, because uh, the one thing it will require is like, I, have to, I read everything that goes up on our site and most of most of the stuff that goes up on kind of competitor sites or you know similar sites you've really got to consume a lot so you've got to have an attitude for that um you've got to want to do that i mean i guess if you're looking at more traditional roles outside of college you can go in some days and and phone it in not phone it in that's kind of that kind of sound arrogant but you can go in maybe and you can have projects that might be six or eight weeks and it's there's an ability to kind of 
for 90% of the time, be really unfocused and get that done. And then 10% of the time, maybe not be as focused as you would have been. But with journalism, if it's breaking news, if it's kind of starting out, you do maybe have to get two or three articles out a day because everything is online. Everyone's consuming so quickly. You need to be mm-hmm. able to kind of write that and maybe have the background. So if you're writing about something and the week before you're quite tuned into what was happening, but maybe let's say Tuesday, Wednesday this week, you didn't have much and you're writing something on Friday, you're giving background for a story that was relevant last week, but you missed something on yeah. a Tuesday, Wednesday, then it's kind of useless. Mm-hmm. Your editor has to jump back in and edit it. And it's going to take maybe instead of 15, 20 minutes of editing to get out, it might take 40, 45. And then, you know, you're behind the other three publications and you're suddenly, you're kind of lagging and putting everyone else out of step. So it is tough, I would say. Um, you don't need a high level, but you just need a high kind of commitment because it's full on for maybe a couple hours a day. But then again, if you hit your targets and you're getting stories out, maybe you're not as busy some afternoons or maybe you can kind of, you know, yeah, it can be a little bit more flexible that way. But um, no, it doesn't, there's not a high barrier to get in. And um, what would you recommend to students looking to gain more knowledge and skills in the area? Yeah, crypto specifically, it's quite nerdy. You kind of have to kind of get into the weeds. I'd say, I say to people like it's, there's some really good YouTube links. There's really good stuff on Twitter. Mainly though, the best thing to do is to get on Twitter, be following, kind of build a list. If you know someone who's interested in it, ask them. You can like a Twitter list, they can share it with you. Following 10, 15 people there, maybe more that are sharing things that are relevant. Um, if you really, really want to get into it, you can get into some Telegram and Discord channels where people are kind of talking all day. You've got community moderators like what I used to do. They kind of guide the conversation and guide the topics and you can learn a lot there. Um, but I'd say the best thing to do is maybe just buy a little bit, try it out. Um, Coinbase have some great learning features where you can earn to, learn to earn kind of like you answer some questions and they give some sponsored tokens to you. All really handy. Um, you don't need to get really deep into it and start like, you know, adding browser extensions. Even that I think is a little bit extreme, but uh, for some people probably. Uh, I'd say just get interested in it, read about it, check out some videos, whatever your kind of medium for consuming info is uh i know not everyone's reading and there's some really great shorts out there i know like one girl on twitter kyla scanlon one woman i should say she's not a girl um she does really cool videos on youtube like she does daily shorts like a 60 second roundup but she does longer kind of 15 20 minutes and um i think possibly even longer podcast where she explains things really really well and um yeah it's just about finding some some content that you can consume and whether taking up your whole t- whole day unless you want that to be the case <laughs> definitely um and then journalism in general is a challenging industry and it requires a great amount of practice and then hard work to break into what's it like from the crypto side of things compared to, to you know different streams of, of journalism yeah so it is um it is like there's a little bit of an element because i guess a, a week in crypto can can feel a lot longer um last week we had um kind of everything crashed because of this algorithmic stable coin which is kind of like a pegged fixed currency exchange rate pegged to the mm-hmm. dollar um and that was kind of and that was developing really quickly so it was really busy um you weren't really getting a second like stuff was coming out and you're kind of having to put it up so that is a little bit more stressful and you have to be careful as well when something like that's happening where the info you're getting is coming from because with twitter a lot of info comes from because with crypto a lot of info comes from twitter and maybe you're reading telegram groups or you're hearing things and you have to verify it, but you also want to get the stories out quickly and because everything moves so quickly, it is um, it is a little bit more uh, stress and high pressure in that sense, but then it can be a lot more rewarding. 
definitely. And then when you were developing kind of your skills in terms of writing and journalism and, and crypto, what was like the division of your of your development like? Um, and were there any crypto journalists you aspired to or learn from their work? Yeah, I um, I saw, yeah, I, I, I remember you said this question over and I had a look. Um, I was trying to think. I don't know if there was any journalist in particular in crypto that I, I looked up to. I should probably say my boss now because I did follow him before <laughs> and uh, he reached out to me on Twitter and that's how I ended up kind of working for the block. And I did really like his writing. I liked his tweeting. Uh, he's kind of just kind of casual and he seemed like approachable. So I guess I, li- I was kind of drawn to that. He wasn't sort of, you know, you might follow someone from the FT or the Economist and they can be very, you can feel where this person's impressive and it can be a bit daunting. But I think sometimes with crypto, people seem a lot more human, even though you're dealing with pseudonymous people that have yeah. NFTs as their profile pictures. They're just kind of regular. Um, so it's nice. So I, I don't know yeah. um, if I have anyone I really looked up to. I've, I've liked a lot of different journalists. I really like John Byrne Murdoch's um, data viz stuff at the FT. And again, that's kind of cons- consumable. It's uh, like uh, everyone can kind of appreciate that. So I, kind of, I guess that's what I like. No, I think that's definitely for, for young people and students. I think it's a lot better to have it in a more kind of palatable way that it's, it's nearly easier mm-hmm. to process and it's approachable to everyone. Um, and what do you enjoy most about being a crypto journalist? I guess all I enjoy most is that people think it's quite cool, uh, my friend. <laughs> it's got like a nice kind of veil at the moment. People think it's really cool because it's the hot topic. But um, yeah, I mean, in reality, in five or six years, it'll just be um, a boring old job. So it's nice. Yeah, yeah there's, there's some very cool events. Um, I think maybe it's probably not that good for crypto that they're doing some kind of dot-com style parties in Soho and London for an NFT launch. Um, that's probably not going to be great it's probably not a great signal if um if you're if you're skeptical about crypto that uh, these things are happening <laughs> but they are fun and you get to get invited if you're writing about them and i'm sure people will be telling stories about them in years when a lot of these things maybe don't work out or do it's obviously a very interesting time in crypto with the crash and everything what are some of the most interesting things you've been writing about recently i i this is slightly more boring than the crash because there was really interesting stuff with stable coins and i guess what value they bring to crypto for crypto traders it's kind of a nice handy way of avoiding volatility moving in and out of positions without having to you know revert back to traditional finance but what i found most interesting was i'm writing about lending rates at the moment so for anyone who doesn't know what they are you can there's like 21 million bitcoin and it's well like 19 million of it mine so far or whatever i'm not quite sure don't so don't comment on that but mm-hmm. a lot of people can take their bitcoin and uh, let lend it out to institutions or no borrowers through centralized platforms that chart give you a return then so like it's a savings platform so i guess you know if you have one bitcoin it's worth thirty thousand, but you don't want to spend it because you think it's only worth a hundred thousand but you still want to make some money you can tr- entrust it to let's say blockfi who are a crypto lender they'll go and lend that out they'll, they'll charge a higher rate and then they'll pay you maybe nine or ten percent i think at one point it was as high as that and wow. at the moment, it's down as low. I think it's four or five percent. They've got mm-hmm. different uh, tiers. Basically, they uh, lend that out to an institution that might want to be a market maker, or the basis trade is another trade that institutions do, where it's like they short the future contract and they long the spot, and the two eventually converge if crypto prices in the future are going to be higher. So it's like interior risk-free trade. But um, yeah. that's just all really interesting, and I guess. The rates have been coming down slowly since December um, and prices were still up and people were still quite a little bit bullish. I guess a lot of people in January knew that things were 
going to be going down. But it's interesting if you look at the lower rates, then you can kind of track the uh, kind of bear market setting in. Um, so that's kind of one of the interesting things I'm writing about at the moment, lending rights. As a journalist, I imagine you're always looking out and researching to be at the forefront of, of crypto media. What do you see as the future of crypto? I know when you were speaking there, you sound very confident about the future of crypto. And what's your take on the recent crash? Yeah, um, so I guess the future I see, I don't see like I'm, I'm I'll probably, I mean, none of this would be fact or anything, but um, I, I, I think maybe some coins don't have, Permanent, like you know there's maybe not a lot of coins that have like payment utilities so like i don't think people are going to be using bitcoin to pay for things i know you've got like the lightning network and cash app run that in america so they've they did like i think it was, they did a lot of they did like a billion dollars worth of transfers last year or something crazy i don't know since they've mm-hmm. started running that we are on that but i don't think any of that stuff really excites me um i guess it's more what i see kind of being built on other networks that's interesting like smart contracts what you can do with those. Uh, one of the things that really interests me is DAOs. So like decentralized autonomous organizations. So it's sort mm-hmm. of crypto way of running a company. So you can have everything run by insulated by smart contracts and um, everyone gets kind of a governance vote for joining this DAO. So I set one up with my friends and we can all put in maybe like 0.01 of an act. Uh, and then you can all join. That gives you 10 tokens, let's say, for this group. And then we can all decide and vote um, on what we want to invest in. So if we want to buy an NFT together or if we want to save up and do something else, they're doing some really cool things with it in America. People are buying NFT collections and people are running companies on it. And I know, I think we have a researcher in our company that worked for one and his boss was literally, um, when he talked to him one time, had an NFT offer. It's like superimposed on his face, I guess, or whatever. So <laughs> he never actually met. He never knew what his boss looked like or knew his real name. So yeah. yeah it's fascinating it's it's insane how much it's developed in like the last even two years or so like it's just an incredible industry to watch well you see it as a future are there elements of crypto that you see as overhyped like seen in the dot-com bubble that just won't take off i know you were talking about just making general payments with crypto but ideas like sandbox or high street and, and those kind of metaverse type um you know built on blockchain and cryptocurrency technology do you think those things will, will kind of take off or will there be parts that just kind of fade off yeah, um, I mean, like the payment stuff, I think, you know, I think I use an ag- aggregator for news some mornings to see what's happening. And some of the stuff they put up is from different news sites, it's the important stuff kind of usually in theory. But um, I think there was one to say is like 65 restaurants around the world that are using Shiba Inu for payments. If you click into that and realistically look at it, it's not really being used for payments. So that stuff, mm-hmm. I think Shiba Inu and these coins and this kind of stuff, there's maybe too many coins and there's maybe too many people getting behind kind of online communities and that might not eventually like serve any purpose. But once it's just the people in the community that are using that for their own kind of development and interest, then I think it's fine. When people get involved and start investing, that's kind of a little bit scary, obviously, if people start losing money. Uh, Metaverse stuff. So High Street's like the retail kind of stuff of Metaverse. Yeah, I I guess is that like people buying, it it depends what what it is exactly. I went, I covered the Australian Open in the metaverse. So it was a weird one. They had some cool things like they had NFTs that they split the, the court, the main court in Melbourne, I think it is, um, into different squares. And each square had, had a tennis ball that was um, like designed, but different tennis ball that was randomly designed, different colors and textures and had metadata. So the metadata was like, if it was a, if the ball landed in that part of the court for a winning point, that was then included and the ball was more valuable. 
So then, like, you had Nadal, or who was it, Nadal won? No idea. I, I'm going to Google it quickly. Um, okay. Yeah, he won. The NFT of the ball where he had hit the court was worth, like, two, maybe over an eighth, oh, like, three or four grand at one point. But wow. then the metaverse, the metaverse side of that was, like, you were walking around this, like, Club Penguin kind of snap map style <laughs> thing. Yeah, it felt like that. And, like, you had a Ralph yeah. Lauren shop there, and you had, like, you could play games talk to people i guess the talking to people is interesting like the people from all over the world going but then also you saw people who had different skins so it was like your skin is like your clothes you wear in there so people were buying ralph Lauren kind of designs for their character and then yeah. so i said like it's like Fortnite or something kind of meets club penguin and it's kind of weird i don't find that altogether interesting i know some people might and i don't want to devalue that for them some of those yeah. places like high street and things that they, they just seem it's hard to imagine it taking off to like a, a huge scale. It's more so for like a niche kind of almost gamer market nearly. Yeah, I guess like if you're if you're seeing Wendy's in the metaverse or you're seeing, you know, Carl's Jr. patenting stuff today for the metaverse, those guys aren't planning on serving virtual food or whatever. No. I think the idea is that, you know, we used to have road signs because people were sitting in traffic for two or three hours a day and they might see something that they want to buy when they get home or whatever. Yeah. This might be the new road sign, I guess, if you're going to have millions of people playing games and moving through the metaverse to get to their end destination. And they might see these things, but they're not necessarily going to be using them. So I guess they just have to be there, set their still in the, in the mindset. When you do take mm-hmm. off your headset and get some fresh air, you know, you want to get yourself a Wendy's or you want to buy Ralph Lauren. Or, but yeah, I don't think definitely. it's going to have major utility for a lot of people. Uh, that's just my opinion. I could be really wrong. Um, I recently did a, a podcast with Dara Koff, who's a, a crypto sales manager. And when we touched on that about one of the, the greatest challenges with crypto is that, you know, not all of it is created equally and anyone almost can make a token, which, you know, kind of leads to a different trend and hype driven coins. Do you think this is an area that needs regulation and do you see regulation as a huge part of the, the industry going forward? So I guess there's a few things to that. Um, do I think it's a bad thing that there's hype driven coins? Not necessarily if it if it kind of remains limited to that group um if they want to put something together and do something that's fine that's great um you know if i want to go and i'm going to make a bad comparison here if i want to go and get 10 of my friends together and we play super league every sunday none of us are fit enough and most of us won't show up it's um <laughs> detrimental to other people if the league suffers and it might be detrimental to us if we get injured but at the end of the day we went into it now with everything you want to go and create a coin on Binance smart chain or you want to go and do something invest your money a lot of the people investing are adults and a lot of people are using exchanges know what they're doing so I mean, that's going to happen. You're going to lose money. You might make money. Some people get away with it, making a lot of money. Um, that's that's part of it, though. It has to be decentralized. And you have to have that possibility. Otherwise, it becomes centralized, uh, overly centralized and kind of overly regulated. Um, I would say, though, if you're a centralized exchange and Coinbase or someone putting up um, coins, that's 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 always so useful because they fall under, they probably need to fall under more regulation. And they, I think they do. And um, that's good because they don't just, put up anything you can't just get access to a million coins on coinbase and you can't just buy whatever you want um there's different things on there um and there's limits to getting on there's limits to like how you can unramp onto that um i know if you want to use metamask and google chrome and install that plugin it's it's not the easiest thing to do you know i'm not gonna be able to do it the first time i had to kind of watch youtube or check out stuff and uh, you know someone who's kind of heard about crypto and thinks it might be good won't be able to do that they won't get hit with heavy gas fees in Ethereum because they're probably going to use an exchange. So I think most of those things are fine. And some of the stuff, maybe the OpenSea does with now around um, NFTs, they're bringing in more 
verification to make sure people aren't getting scammed. That's good. But yeah, in the end of the day, like any kind of nascent stuff, you you got to be careful and people have to bite the bullet if they're going to risk too much. Like everything, I think there's some yeah. element you're just going to have to be careful. I know a lot of my peers, um, like their main concern when it comes to, to crypto is the impact it has on the environment. Is this something that you see spoken a lot in terms of the journalist perspective and, and in the media? Yeah, uh, I know last year this was huge. Um, Elon Musk, uh, before he bought Twitter, was before he tried to buy Twitter, was tweeting about it, um, saying Tesla wouldn't take Bitcoiners. I forget the time. And then there was issues in China around Bitcoin mining. And it was banned and crypto kind of had a mini crash last may june but i don't see the issue i mean i know a lot of people do criticize bitcoin it's proof of work so it takes i mean i guess you have to solve cryptographic puzzles quicker than the next you know high-speed computer so that's going to take a toll there's different ways of fueling that i mean i know that some of them are some you've got some bitcoin mining companies that are using all like emissions from like you know unused emissions from gas uh mining and they're using that to fuel their computers or yeah it's more technical than i understand but i don't see it as a huge issue anymore that i've covered a lot um ethereum the second biggest crypto is updating to proof of stake which takes less of a toll on the environment and it's a huge upgrade like that'll be a huge difference because it's one of the biggest and most popular and probably the one that people think will be used for payments so if that mm-hmm. up- upgrades and if that comes true then it's one less um environmental concern uh i don't see it as a huge if- issue a lot of the esg stuff these days can be overblown and uh, some of the companies at the forefront of esg might not themselves be the greatest yeah it's probably something that will, will solve itself over time and, and through different things okay yeah. that's it for today thank you so much for listening we hope you enjoyed and thank you so much adam for joining us there's so much we learned from your journey and we really appreciate you coming on today no worries thanks for having me and uh yeah cheers <laughs>